Welcome to the Grace Fellowship Church of Ephrata podcast. Our desire is to help you grow in your journey with Jesus, no matter where you are. For more information, please check out our website at www.gfchurch.net. Uh, we've been talking about generosity the last two weeks, and uh, this is that season of generosity and thanks and gratitude, and, and we know everyone's really you know, going to just pour out their gratitude for everything they have on Thursday before they go out on Black and Blue Friday and beat everybody up over a TV. Um, so uh, you know, we're going to spend another week talking about generosity. Uh, I talked about the first week that If we are a generous person, which as believers we should be with our time, with our talent, with our treasure, our possessions, if we are a generous person, we create excess in our life so that we can give away the rest to bless other people. We find a way to create that excess. Uh, Last week we talked a little bit further and we looked at uh, a couple things about it. We said that generous people live off of enough. They have discovered how to have just enough. Uh, and they ask God for just enough, not too much and definitely not too under or too far under. So we talked about how God provides for us. And uh, we want to continue that today and really wrap up our time together. And uh, I'll say this, whenever a church talks of money, number one, if you're a guest, we don't talk about money a lot at all. Uh, and so if you're like, oh, here we go, a church talking about money. Um, this is one of those things that, you know, uh, some churches don't even talk about this, but we want to talk about it because we want the right perspective on everything that we have and everything that God has given us. Because if it is God's, we want to use it according to his rules, not our feelings. A couple years ago, uh, I, uh, by the way, I don't know if you know this or not, butterball turkeys. Anyone doing a butterball turkey this week? Anyone? Anyone? Okay, a few people, all right. Some people don't do Butterball. They get over with John F. Martin or one of the local ones. Uh, Butterball still has a hotline set up that you can call and say, hey, I'm having problems cooking my turkey. Can you please, you know, help me out? And they have a hotline, literally, that still works. I mean, it's hard to believe that people still would do this and not Google it or something like that. So uh, there was a couple years ago a woman uh, who was working at the Butterball hotline, answering all the questions of people calling in. And a lady called in one day, and she said, hey, I have a Butterball turkey that has been in my freezer. I just discovered it, and the date on it, it is 23 years old. Number one, why has she cleaned out her freezer and all that time? Anyway, um, 23 years old, she's like, is this even edible at all? And, of course, the Butterball spokesperson, oh, yes, you know what? Uh, you can cook it. Here's what you do, et cetera, et cetera. But I'm going to tell you, it's probably not going to taste that great. To which the woman on the line said, well, that's okay. I'll just go ahead and give it to church. Now, I wish that that was a humorous story, but it's a real story. Uh, And not only that, I I wish that that wasn't true, but let's be honest. Sometimes when it comes to ministries or when it comes to church, sometimes we give the leftovers. That turkey that's been sitting in the freezer. Oh, the church is doing a clothing drive. I'll give the stuff I no longer want rather than something I would actually wear, and even going out and buying something or whatever it is, we sometimes give God the leftovers. Uh, When I was serving up in Willow Grove, Pennsylvania, at Hope uh, Community Church up there, um, they had a garage. Uh, So, you know, you have your church building, and they had this garage right next to it. Uh, The problem with the garage was this, two things. One, every year they would have a big yard sale, 
uh, and all the money would go to the missionaries. That was great. The problem was everybody in church had a key to the garage. You know where this is going? The first week of preparation for the yard sale, every year they would have to rent a dumpster for all the stuff that all the people in the church would come and they would dump into the garage throughout the year of stuff they didn't want anymore. And rather than paying, you know, to get it hauled away by the, the disposal company, we'll just throw it in the garage. Maybe they can sell it. And so they would spend a couple, like a week, throwing stuff out that people had just dumped in there. They were giving leftovers. They were giving what they didn't want anymore. I wish, I wish, even in my own life, that I didn't give God leftovers. But sometimes I do. Sometimes I give what I don't want, or when it's convenient, then I'll give to him. Uh, I was looking at this, uh, especially when it comes to our money, on how it, uh, giving looks across churches. Lifeway Research just did this survey uh, a few weeks ago, and really the top two is the only two I want us to focus on right now. Uh, views on serving God and others. They uh, polled about a couple thousand people on this, uh, and uh, they asked this, I intentionally give up certain purchases so I can use that money for others. What we talked about the first week, creating excess to bless people, giving up some things so you can give it away. 41% said, yeah, I do that. 27% said, no, I don't do that. And then 32% lied. I'm kidding. Um, 32%, uh, if, but if we're going to be honest, I would bet, I would bet that close to half of that number probably doesn't want to answer honestly, uh, if, if we're going to be really, really truthful. Uh, so I would say over 50% is like, no, why would I do that? Do you know how tight times are, you know? Uh, and, and then the second question was, I intentionally try to serve people outside my church who have tangible needs. I, I give up of my time. Now you'll notice 62%. Oh yeah, I'll do that. I look at this because this tells us something. Uh, it's a lot easier for some of us to give away our time because we view it cheaply than it is for us to actually give of our time or our actual money or possessions or treasures and so on. We will hold on to that. And that comes even with ministry that sometimes we're more than happy to volunteer at church, but don't dare ask me to actually have to give towards anything with the church or ministry or so on. So we want to take a look at what does biblical uh, generosity look like because here's really at the heart of it. Um, generosity is a rule, not, not, not a rule for us to follow in the sense that we're going to come and check on what everybody's giving us, okay? We're not going to do that. This is between you and the Lord. We don't want it to come across legalistic, but we do know this, and this is the important part, how generous we are and how uh, disciplined we are. Not doing it one time, not doing it, oh yeah, that's right, here, I'll, I'll give towards the church to help with the ministry there and so on. How disciplined and regular we are speaks a lot about our spiritual maturity. That is a great indicator of where we actually are in our walk with the Lord. Not that we just give every once in a blue moon, but we are committed to it. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna take a look at this scripturally, so this isn't just Dan's opinion, I get that when we talk about money, it gets uncomfortable. Uh, for some of you, it's really uncomfortable. Uh, and I'll say that from up here. It is not easy for me to talk about this a lot. Uh, it, it's one of those areas where I know it can be a sensitive issue. But we are responsible to follow God's word. And that's what's important in the season for us to see what God's view is on this. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 21, a whole four verses today. 
a whole four verses because it's a very short story about uh, an event that happened during the ministry of Jesus. Jesus, his ministry has been going on. It's getting close to the end of his earthly ministry when he will be crucified. He goes to the temple one day, as he would do from time to time, in Jerusalem. He's hanging out there. He's teaching the people that are listening because they love to hear him teach. They would gather. But as was the normal, you know, normal happening, the Pharisees and, and the scribes and the Sadducees would all come up and they'd start badgering him with questions. We know that the Pharisees often felt threatened by Jesus because he was, let's just be honest, he, his popularity stats were really high and theirs were not. They did not like what he was doing. They didn't like what he was saying. They thought they were doing the right thing, many of them. But they also didn't like the fact that Jesus was getting and gaining more power than them. So they badger him with questions. They're trying to throw him off. They're trying to find something that they can incriminate Jesus with so that they can arrest him and kill him because he's just inconvenient for them. And in the midst of all this, as this is going on, Luke 21 happens. It says this, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box. Isn't that interesting? Offering box was what they did in the temple, and we have offering boxes. And he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Before we move on, I'm going to highlight a few things with this. Jesus looks up. In the midst of everything that's going on, teaching, the temple, the, the noises and sounds of the temple, uh, obviously the Pharisees there giving him a hard time, he sees rich people coming in, putting their gifts into the offering box. Now, one thing we know, uh, and we're going to see this in a moment, the context of this, the scribes and the Pharisees, did they like to draw attention to themselves when they would do something really religious? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, several commentators I read said it is possible that it talked about Jesus seeing the rich coming and putting their gifts into the offering box, that they're making a spectacle of this. Look at me. You know, they, they give their, their tithe, their 10%, in pennies, and they make sure it's a loud box that they just put them in one at a time. So everyone's like, what is that? Not? Oh, well, look at them. Man, they're still putting more in. Oh, man, look at them. They must be really holy because they put in a lot of coinage. The rich is putting their gifts into the offering box, drawing a spectacle to themselves, and he saw a poor widow put in two small copper coins. Now, the offering that is being collected at this time went to pay for the priests, the people that help out in the temple. Like when we do an offering, it goes to helping with staff. It goes to helping with uh, the stuff to keep the lights on and all that stuff, the administrative stuff. But also a portion of that offering being collected was to go to help the people that were the most vulnerable, the orphans and the widows. She is giving to an offering that's going to come back to herself. Hang on to that in a moment. I want to revisit that. She comes in and she puts in two small copper coins. Now, you may be like, okay, what's that? What they do? Copper coins. This was not much. Uh, and, and depending on what version, there's also an account of this in Mark. Uh, the coin was actually called uh, the lepta. Uh, and two leptas were the equivalent of one 64ths of a day's wage, which to you means everything. Let me put it in modern terms because this is what I have to do for Dan's brain. Let's say you just have a common job, $15 an hour, think of that, and you work eight hours a day. 
That is, I believe, 120. I've got to check my math. Okay, 120, my math people. Josh, I'll just look at you because I know you've got a calculator brain. So $120 a day. If you do the math, 1 64th of that is $1.68 was what she put into the offering. When everybody else could easily come in and put in $12 if they're doing their, t their uh, tithe, their tenth, uh, what the law required of them back then. She's only putting in less than $2. This poor widow putting into an offering that is meant to come back to her. Now, this is why I wanted to revisit this. This widow could have had two wrong mindsets. One, well, it's just going to come back to me, so no need to give. No need to give. Why should I give when it's just coming right back to me? But here's the thing, and we're going to get, I'm going to show you the context of this in a second. We get a hint that there's something fishy going on with the offering, that somehow it is not getting back to her. The widows and the orphans are not seeing this offering. And if she knew she wasn't going to see it, she could rightfully say, well, I'm not going to see this anyway, so I'm just going to keep it because I don't have much. The story goes on, verse 3. Jesus says to those around him, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. All those rich people, she's given more. For they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. She gave up all she had. Why? The discipline of giving. Why? Yeah, you could say, well, she had to. The law, you know. Back then in the uh, you know, Old Testament and the New Testament before Christ fulfills the law. Well, they had to or they were unfaithful. You could say that. But there was something I think we learn about her heart that Jesus saw in her that we can't miss. She had every right to just not do this because she's poor. She could have made the excuse, but she had a faithfulness to God that Jesus commended. Jesus was in awe of. She gave up all she had. See, the rich were giving. They were giving, and they weren't even feeling it. It's like, oh, yeah, here we go. Okay, we're going out to eat today. We're hitting Outback Steakhouse. Woohoo! But this woman was literally putting in all she had to live off of. Her heart wanted to, it was committed to the Lord in doing what was right. And I believe that there's something that we learn from this uh, woman. See, the rich came in. Uh, the rich could come in and they were giving out of their abundance. But here's the thing we've got to learn by, about the rich. Uh, we need to be interested in the needs of everybody in the pews around you. We should not be cold-hearted about the needs of individuals in this church. And we as a church, obviously we do a benevolence offering to help with that, but we need to be aware of the needs of everyone around us if we are being the church. And that may mean that you have to let people know your needs. Some of us would rather die than to actually have to share that we might have a need. And that has to change. That's just pride. That's pride. How are we supposed to be the body of Christ and take care of each other if we're not even going to share what we need? Share our concerns and share, listen, humbly, this is coming up. I need your help. And how else is the body of Christ supposed to care and come together and work as an organism unless we know that? 
We must learn from the rich because the rich didn't care about the needs of this widow. You didn't see any of them going over and saying, you know what, here's a little bit extra. I already gave, but I'm going to give you some. They were more concerned about themselves and everyone thinking about how rich and how wonderful they were by how much they put in the offering box. It's almost like, you know, uh, it would be like with our offering today. It'd be like one of you being like, well, I want people to know how holy and righteous I am. So, you know, those big checks that they give away, you know, on the, you're coming in with your big check and you're going up to the offering box and go, oh, this won't fit in there, uh, everybody. It's not fitting. Make sure you read it. You know, you're trying to put it in to draw a spectacle to yourself. So everyone thinks, you are really holy. What we learn from the widow, what we learn from her, is this. It's not about the amount given. It's about the size of the sacrifice. It's not about the amount given. It's about the size of the sacrifice. And this is very important for any of you that maybe are skeptical or you don't like to give or you're not in the discipline and habit of giving because it isn't about you. It's not about you. We talked about the first week, money is temporary. We think we have control of our lives because we have money and we can do whatever we want with it. What a lie. What a lie for me. How many times have I believed that? You know, Lord, if you just let the money tree grow in my yard, I'll give you 25%. All my problems will magically go away. And as we saw last week, that creates an arrogance in us that we don't need God. We don't need him at all. We've got it. Money's going to make all of our problems go away. This brings us to our point this morning. Generous people give because it hurts. Generous people give because it hurts. You may, Well, I got two periods there. I apologize. Um, sorry, typos drive me nuts. They give because it hurts. And you may say, that is weird, Dan. What do you mean? I'll tell you what I mean. Many of you are uh, know or you heard or whatever. Gavin and I ran a 5K last weekend in Philadelphia. Okay? Uh, we did the Rocky Run. It was all spectacle. Come ask me about it. It was very entertaining. I would do it again. So we do a 5K. In order for me to not look like a complete fool, I, I, I hate running. I, do I have any other running haters here? I, yeah, exactly. It's, it's like unnatural to me. I did this 5K training program, and the woman speaking in it, she's like, you were made to run. I'm like, no. <sighs> My knees are not telling me I was made to run. I was made to sit. Uh, so anyway, I had to endure training for this, to build myself up so I didn't look like a complete failure. And Gavin, you know, puts a bag over his head and doesn't even speak to me anymore because he's embarrassed at how bad his dad ran. I had to train myself. That involves pain. So why would I do it? Because I had an end goal in mind. I want to be healthy. I want my heart to be good. This is going to be fun. I want to create a, a memorable moment with my son. All of these things are factors in why I endured pain. Some of you have had to do physical therapy. I know that's always popular. Woohoo! Physical therapy today. But you do physical therapy because physical therapy is supposed to get you as close to 100% again as possible. You have to endure uncomfortable things and pain and go through it so that you can get to the end goal. This is why I say generous people give because it hurts. They know the needs of people around them. They know the ministry of the church is important, that it's impacting lives around them. And so they'll give, and they'll even give to the point it starts getting a little uncomfortable because they know it pays off. It eternally pays off. It's not just for their ego or anything like that. They don't do sporadic giving. They do disciplined giving. 
And discipline giving is what I want to just talk briefly through. Three reasons why I am encouraging us to revisit. Maybe we've sort of stopped, you know, uh, giving towards the church. Again, this isn't about putting any coins in my pocket. This is about the ministries of the church. This is about the ministries of what we are able to do as a church. Discipline giving is important. First and foremost, because discipline giving is an act of submission. It's an act of submission. The widow was surrendering to what God asked of her. She set an example for the rich who were just doing it for their own purposes or that everyone thinks that they're wonderful or whatever. She was doing it because it's what God required of her. We know in 2 Corinthians 9 that it talks about, you know, being a cheerful giver, uh, that you shouldn't be giving begrudgingly or uh, that you're being forced to. One of the reasons that when I came here I said I don't want to pass a plate, we'd get bigger offerings if we passed a plate. But here's the thing. I know some would be putting it in because it's like, oh, here it comes. I don't want people to think I'm a jerk, so here's five. I don't want that. I want to encourage us to give disciplined that it's such a commitment, it's so important to us, it's just natural for us to be giving. Disciplined giving is an act of surrender and submission to God. Psalm 24, 1 says, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. When I give, I recognize that everything I have is not my own. It was given to me by God. And I'm just merely a manager of it. The money we get... The possessions God allows us to have are all his. Yet we deceive ourselves in thinking it's mine. They're all his. We're stewards. We're managers of it. How well are we taking care of it? If it is all his, then when we're asked of 10% or just so you know, as far as 10%, is that what I should be giving? Um, In the Old Testament, people were required to give 10%. Uh, I am one that says that, or believes, my own conviction is that that is a guideline for us rather than the hard, fast rule. If you aren't doing that, then I don't know if there's room in the kingdom for you. I do think it is a goal for us, and it is a goal I know for me personally that we're giving 10, if not more than that. God gives you 100% of what you own, and he just says, just give me 10%. 90% you still get to have. That doesn't seem too hard for us. That shouldn't be too hard for us. And I have a question for you that are struggling with this one. Are you willing to return at least 10% of what God is lending to you? Your money is lended to you by God. You wouldn't have the jobs or the means of income if it were not for him allowing you to have so. Do you trust his sovereignty? And can you give 10%, not begrudgingly, not because you have to, but as a, a way of saying, God, it's yours And I surrender it to you. Take it and do with it what you want. John Wesley, the great church father and founder of the Methodists, uh, one of the founders of the Methodist church, had this saying, and I love this one. I think of this one often. Money never stays with me. It would burn me if it did. I throw it out of my hands as soon as possible, lest it should find its way into my heart. Now, for those of you that were wondering last week, if you were here, the flypaper that I grabbed onto to put this in an illustration, I did manage to find goo gone downstairs and get my hand clean. That was disgusting. Soap and water was not getting that stuff off. But it is such a good picture of what can happen if we hold on too long. Money begins to take root in us, and it begins to hold on to us, and it begins to control us, and then we begin to trust it more than we do God. 
Money never stays with me. And John Wesley lived by this. It's believed John Wesley lived off of 5% of what he earned and gave 95% away. Incredible example for us to follow. It's an act of surrender and submission. He knew it was the Lord's. Second thing, discipline, giving is an act of faith. It's an act of faith. 2 Corinthians 9, 10 uh, reminds us, uh, Paul's talking to the church of Corinth. He says, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. He wasn't talking necessarily about the agrarian, you know, farming. He's making the point with this. We give cheerfully because we know God is going to provide for us, and he already has. What we're putting and giving to him, he provided for us, and he will continue to do so. It is an act of faith for us. It's an act of us to say, God, you have provided. I give back to you. I surrender it to you. I know you're going to keep doing so. And so it is an act of faith to do that. Say, God, I trust you for all that you will give me. Giving is a regular discipline every week or whatever you do. Some people give weekly. Some people give biweekly. Some people give monthly. Whatever that regular formula is for you, it is always, every time you do it, this act of saying, God, you will continue to provide. Maybe you need to say that as you put your whatever in the offering or wherever you're giving. You say, God, I know you're going to continue to provide for me. I looked up the stats this past week. Um, Americans uh, spend roughly 9% of their income on entertainment and restaurants. 9%. Entertainment, that's all your streaming services, Netflix, all that stuff. You know, all the fun stuff you do, going to the movies and all that. Restaurants isn't, you know, so that you can eat. Restaurants is all that glamorous dining out stuff that we do from time to time. You know, where we don't want to eat at home, so we go out someplace. 9%. None of us here struggle with thinking about that. In fact, giving it up, we would probably fight for it because it's like, I need to be able to enjoy some of my money. 9%. Giving back to the church all of a sudden becomes optional. We will not give up the entertainment. We will not give up the other stuff or cut it back so that we can give back to the Lord. We hold on to that. White-knuckled hold on to it. And that tells something about what we trust in. Discipline giving is an act of faith. Ask yourself this. Am I trusting in God to provide for my needs? Do I trust that he's going to continue to provide for my needs if I just get back this little piece of it back to him out of surrender and submission to him? Last one is this. Discipline giving is an act of worship. Discipline giving is an act of worship. I don't know how many of us even think of it this way. When we hear the word worship, we think of what we did at the beginning of today. Singing. That's worship. Well, that's one form of worship. Giving is also an act of worship. 2 Corinthians 9, 11 to 13 says, For the ministry of this service of giving is also overflowing in thanksgiving to God. It's a sign of thank you, God. It's a sign of sacrifice that we're giving. We're surrendering something out of worship. If you look at the Old Testament or you talk about what worship is, worship at the heart of it is a sacrifice of something. I'll explain this to you. When we sing, you're sacrificing a couple things. You're sacrificing time. You're sacrificing energy. You're sacrificing if you're standing. Some of you, if not all of us, are sacrificing dignity. Think of it. Sacrificing dignity. How many men in here, 
when you're bored on a Friday night, call up your friends and say, hey guys, you know, don't really have anything on the counter tonight. Why don't we get together and do a sing-along? You will hang up fast. Guys, for the most part, do not enjoy singing, okay? I say it for this reason. We sacrifice dignity sometimes with singing. And you know what? David had no problem dancing around almost semi-inappropriate. And he said, I will do even more and become even more undignified to worship my God. And for some of us, that lack of dignity or giving up our dignity may be that we go, woo, after a song. One time, you know, let's not get too crazy here. Maybe it's we sing a little louder, even if we don't sing that well. Because God doesn't care about, this isn't the voice here, okay? This is about singing to him because it's a sacrifice of my dignity, my time, my focus, my energy. That's singing. When we uh, uh, fast, we're giving up food, we're giving up comfort, we're sacrificing something to God. Uh, Another example with this, um, prayer. When I pray, I am sacrificing control of a situation and power to control my life when I pray. I say, God, it's yours. At the heart of worship is sacrifice. What kind of sacrifice are we offering with those forms of worship? And are we sacrificing with our giving? We're offering something back to him and trust that he will provide for us. I don't know how many of you would even think of this. Imagine if a person came in and you're getting to know them here at at Grace Fellowship and uh, um, they're like, yeah, you know, I I love the Lord, have my whole life. But I'm just going to tell you this right now. Um, I read my Bible, I pray, uh, I give, um, but I I don't sing. Ever. Ever. I'm a non-singing Christian. That, that, that's, uh, or, you know, the person comes in and is like, well, you know, I really love reading the Bible. I really love singing, love giving. Uh, I, don't, uh, I don't pray. That's against, I, I, I'm not good at prayer, so I just don't pray. You would look at the person and say, what is wrong with you? That's kind of like part of being a follower of Jesus, okay? But sometimes when it comes to giving, we've been doing that. We just kind of throw a few things at them, or we don't give it all. We don't give it all. It's an act of worship. You're withholding worship from God when we do not become disciplined in our giving. Now, I want to say a quick sidebar with this. Uh, a couple weeks ago, we showed this uh, uh, generational breakdown with giving. If you weren't here, this may be the first time you see it. Uh, this is overall giving, not just church giving. Um, and this isn't just us. This is America here, okay? Uh, generational giving, uh, we know that the boomers, were my boomers? Don't get too excited. Okay, put your hands down. I don't want you to hurt yourself. I'm kidding. Boomers uh, uh, are the ones who tend to give uh, a lot. And now we're starting to see this rivalry actually building with Gen Z, the young ones, that are actually beginning to give as much as the boomers, which is really cool. But here's why I put this up. Some of us will look at the younger millennials or even Gen X, my generation, or a Gen Z and will be like, they just don't have an appreciation. They're entitled, et cetera, et cetera. What I didn't add or let you know about this two weeks ago when I showed this is this. The reason that Gen Z tends to give a lot and millennials will give, they have two reasons why they struggle with giving to church. Number one, pastoral scandals. Anyone ever heard of any of those happening? I don't know, you know. Uh, Jim Baker for some of us in the 90s generation, you know, that pastoral scandals, money scandals. Uh, that's one reason. And they're like, why would I give money towards that? 
The second thing is, is that they don't really see anything happening. I keep giving to this church, but we're not doing anything much here. What has been spotted about millennial and Gen Z is this. They give generously, but they give to things that they see a difference being made. What does that tell you about why they're not giving to church? They're not seeing a difference for them being made. For the older set, you may say, well, they need to see it. Well, okay, then we as church leadership need to do a better job and say, here's what God's doing. You are not just throwing your money into a a box and that's the last you're going to see it. It is going to life change eternal investments. We need to do a better job of this. So let's lay off the youngers and saying how they never give and it's, oh, if it wasn't for us, we're so great. Because sometimes, I'll be honest, even for me, I just give because it's a routine. And for some of us, maybe uh, my age and older, it's just a routine. It's just what you do. And you've lost a sense of what this is. It's a sacrifice, an act of worship, and a sign of submission. So let's give with worship. Let's give with joy, faith, that God will continue to provide for us. I challenge us with this one more time. To be the person that others are thankful for this month. Uh, obviously, we've been talking a lot about church offering with this, and this is, uh, again, we don't talk about this often, but I am talking about it this week, okay? When you give, remember that it is not just going to uh, this box and it's just being dissipated and spent and all this, and you don't get to see it. It is changing lives. Grace for Moms is one of our ministries going on right now. One of the cool things about Grace for Moms is this. There are four to six new moms that are coming this year, if my numbers are accurate. And guess what? A number of them are unchurched. But that's not what the church is supposed to be doing, right? No, we're a church on the move in the community. They're seeing unchurched moms come here. How many were here this past Thursday? How many moms total? 14 moms were here this past week. That's a lot of child care. Um, 14 moms. That is awesome. When you give to an offering, that goes to grace for moms. Youth group. Tyler's not here. He's enjoying his Thanksgiving. He was at Notre Dame yesterday, of all things. Um, Tyler, uh, the youth group has been staying at 10 kids consistently. He's seeing some that are coming, and they aren't necessarily from church homes. God is doing something there. You're not, your money goes to soda for those kids, all right? Uh, Exactly, Benjamin and all them are excited. Uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's going and God is doing something. Uh, Citygate, we've served there three times, three times. And that has gone, your offering, to helping that we can even provide food for the homeless in our community. And every time we're doing over 150 to 200, that's 600 people that your offering has gone to help with. Uh, Oh, by the way, youth group did a collection for CityGate this past week. $101. That horrible, ungiving Gen Z crowd who'd never, ever give. Well, they just gave $101. What's your excuse? It's all about worship. It's all about surrender. Let's give to God generously and trust him to look out for us.
God has greater things for this church ahead. You helped with the DR. You helped send people to the DR that we could bless lives over there. The small team that we sent, that was you and your offering. Your, your money is not just going nowhere. It's going somewhere. Well, let's not even get started on our missionaries and how it's helping them. It's going somewhere. Our church must be on mission. And we cannot be content where we're at. And if you're content and you don't want to be bothered by the inconvenience of reaching Ephrata, okay, then you really need to pray about your heart and what God needs to do in it. So let me pray. Uh, I'm going to say a few words and then I'm going to invite Josh up. God, uh, we thank you for just an opportunity to be challenged by your word. I know it's an uncomfortable one. I know for some of us, giving every week is like the widow's might. But you don't measure the amount that we're giving. You measure the size of the sacrifice. Does it hurt? Is it uncomfortable? Does it force us to trust you more? Is it an act of surrender and worship for us? Or are we holding back and giving you the leftover frozen turkey? God, we need you to provide. We trust you to provide. We trust that the mission that we are committed to, we know we're going to have resistance. As soon as a church gets serious about impacting its town, there is resistance. And so, God, we look in faith to you to provide for our personal needs, but for the needs of the ministry here in the church. Lord, we ask that you would help us to be generous, not just in November and December, that we get a tax benefit, but that in January and February, the two most under-giving months, the least amount given to ministries and nonprofits and all that, we would choose to be generous in those months. And that the habit would grow in us of generosity. We love you. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Well, that's it for this week. Thank you for joining us. If you would like prayer, you can send your prayer request into prayer at gfchurch.net and we will pray for you. If you like this message, don't forget to subscribe on the podcast app, Google or Spotify. Give us a follow on Facebook and Instagram. We look forward to seeing you next week.